0: We are in the book of Hebrews chapter 12 today. We're finishing chapter 12, and we have one more chapter to go after that. I want to encourage you guys to read chapter 13, because there's like a million applications for the whole book. This is where you get into where the rubber meets the road in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, I just want to encourage you guys to to read that uh, um, this week. It's going to be a three, four, five week, whatever, ending to, I don't know even exactly, but get, get familiar with it. Prime the pump, so to speak. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for our youth leaders. Thank you for their devotion, their dedication. This has generations of uh, repercussions. They are investing in the most valuable resource on planet Earth, and that is human beings, young people. Who will take this church over someday and uh, they're they're planting seeds and roots and and Lord god i I don't know that we can thank them enough for the time they spend with our young people and thank for thank you for these young people that spend a weekend having fun eating a lot of junk food and having great times and laughs together, but also for whatever uh, Nathan uh, shared with them uh, that it would take just just stick to their ribs lord and and go with them for the years to come just protect each one of these uh young people here today protect them and help them each uh just uh not stop till you decide to take them home or or they just for their entire lives and then lord i want to also thank you for the the men that that worked on the church grounds yesterday it's kind of a unsung hero around here people that take care of the grounds and and do maintenance nobody ever says hey who's that uh... on sunday but we walk into this area beautiful uh... mowed groomed restored and there are many people here today that participated in that and we wanna uh, help them feel that we appreciate and know that we appreciate them lord and now lord as we go into your word this morning um, we don't need to make it better we don't need to embellish it with all kinds of fancy language and and, um, and um, uh... human persuasion it is Persuadab- persuadable. It is powerful. It's, it's alive. Help us to get our flesh, our minds that stray from you out of the way and then just speak to us, Lord, in a loving, truthful manner that will change us from what we came in today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> um, back in 1986, which by the way was the first year that we came here as pastor pastor and, and wife, uh, anyway, uh, there was a gem dealer in the state of Texas by the name of Roy Wettstein. And he was pawing through a Tupperware bowl of cheaply priced rocks at a mineral show in Arizona when he came across a lavender gray potato-sized stone uh, and uh, that looked just kind of special. Wasn't sure what it was. And he said to the dealer, he said, you want 15 bucks for this? And the dealer goes, "Uh, tell you what, I'll let you have it for 10 bucks. It's really not as pretty as the other stones. Wetstein walked away with the world's largest star sapphire, later valued as high as $2.28 million. Now that was 86. I don't know what the inflation rate is, but that would make that sort of expensive now, you know. What would you figure, double the amount? I have no idea, But a lot. Um, he planned to sell his 1,905-carat bargain in its uncut form for $1.5 million and put the profits in trust for his two sons, each of whom had given Dad $5 to bring back a little something from the gem show. (laughs) So he bought 1.5 million little somethings back from the gem show. If you don't, the, the moral of the story is: if you don't know what you have, if you don't know what you possess, you might disregard it or let it go for something worth far less than it is. You know who did that in the Bible? Is a guy named Esau. Esau had um, the value of his birthright and entitled him to the blessings of God's promises to Abraham, and he traded it for a bowl of what—porridge, stew, whatever your Bible says. All of that, and he traded it away for one bowl of stew, okay? He gave away eternal blessings for instant gratification. But that's what the, the readers of this letter are doing too. The writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to tell you, you're going to give away something so great for something so not great that I'm trying to wake you up. Because you're dealing with something really super dangerous here, okay? And what was happening is these Hebrews had been persecuted. They were experiencing all kinds of deep problems and pain and pressure. And they were going, you know, when I signed up for this whole Christian life thing, I wasn't, I wasn't anticipating this. I really didn't think it was going to be that rough. Um, And now that it is, you know, my past life really looks a lot better now. You know, I can relate to that. And I I say this kind of tongue-in-cheek, but if I had known when I had given my life to Jesus Christ how hard it was going to be, would I have had second guesses? Nah, not really, but kind of, sort of, at different periods of time. And what he's telling them is is that you're in danger of giving away Uh, a diamond that's worth millions of dollars for, what did we say, 10 bucks worth of value, okay? And so the author here tries to wake him up, and this is the last warning in a book of really, really severe warnings, uh, the book of Hebrews. I mean, I don't know how many of you have been here for this whole series. I started last was it March? Yeah. And we've gone through all kinds of, like, these really razor-sharp, fiery-pointed, shocking warnings. And I think the warning here is the, la- the last warning here. It's the final one, number one. But number two, I think it's the most razor-sharp warning of them all because it's the last one, and he wants to end with a bang with these guys. And what he's trying to do is to tell them where you're going is going to be really, really a lot worse than where you are now. You just need to realize it. So I want to say this all, all over again right now so we know where we're going and we'll get into the passage. These Jewish Christians were being pressured with persecution and the threat of more persecution, okay? Persecution and problems and pressures and pain were on the horizon of their life, okay? Okay? And they were being tempted, and make no doubt about it, Satan will tempt those of us that are believers to trash our initial commitment and go back to our previous life. Don't even doubt it for a second. And it doesn't matter how old you are, because we don't know what we're going to go through, do we? I used to be, oh, you know, I'll, I'll never deny the Lord, and by God's grace, I never will. But what am I yet to go through? And that's why I try to stay close to the Lord every single day. But here they're they're being tempted to return back to a more comfortable, more familiar, more acceptable, less controversial lifestyle—the rituals and patterns and systems and formulas and dependability of their previous Jewish faith—and put themselves back under the law of God. These rules, these, these these rules and 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 formulas for their justification before God, because it's certainly a lot easier in society that they were in than it was to continue on with Christ. Now, what the writer's trying to tell them is, you guys are, are you, you, this is a very, extremely dangerous thing. Because if you put yourself back under the law of God, the Ten Commandments, to get right with God, guess what? You're going to end up so short of obeying those commandments that you'll put yourself back under the fiery judgment of God. And and why do I say that? Because who on earth can obey all the 10 commandments all the time? Nobody. Nobody. In fact, isn't it just the opposite? The more you try to be a good Christian, <laughs> and obey all God's laws, or as a non-Christian obey all God's laws, the worse it gets. One A, a guy, and, uh, one of these, uh, our, our, my buddies here at this church, we were talking about this before the service, and um, he said to me, uh, you must have a lot of wisdom at your age. <clears throat> and anyway, um, <laughs> but he meant it as a compliment, and, and I really appreciate it. But I told him, I said, you know what I think wisdom is? I think wisdom is knowing how much you don't know. And I'm realizing... I don't know very much, you know, compared to what God is or who God is. And, and that's what happens when you try to o- obey the law of God. The more you try to obey it, the less you do. You know, it's kind of like you're walking along, maybe in a park, and there's a sign on a bench that says, wet paint, do not touch. <laughs> what do you want to do? I want to touch that bench right then and there. <laughs> And that's the law of God. Do not do, do not do. And I want to just violate every command. And this writer is saying to these Hebrew believers, don't try to put yourself under the log and you can't cut it. Stay in grace. Let Jesus obey all those commands. You just let Jesus obey them for you. But they were getting blinded by Satan and, and you know, it was like the, uh, the Jews in Egypt. Oh, why didn't you take us out in the wilderness? We want them yummy onions and the, those yummy vegetables and all that yummy food and all that freedom we had. Really? No, they were miserable. And so we're being told here that, and the writer's telling him here, quit trying to gain acceptance with God by obeying the law. And doing good works instead of through christ because all the law does is reveal our sin it doesn't help us solve it rules don't do it religion doesn't do it nothing does it but who jesus christ in us that's what we're trying the message that we want our church to be all about is it's not about religion and rituals and rules and regulations and requirements it's about jesus obeying the law of God through the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Does that kind of make your, your, your spiritual mouth drool a little bit? Every time I say it, that makes my mouth drool, because I think that is just such a great environment for a church. Now, it says in Romans 3.20, listen to this. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. The more you try to obey it, the more it reveals our sin. The law can't take away our propensity for sin, but Christ can. And that's what he's trying to tell these people. Don't, don't walk away, because you're walking into something so much less wonderful and valuable than what you have in Christ. Okay, so what does he do? He uses t- two examples and two um, re- responses. Okay, now we're going to get into our text here after that 30-minute introduction, right? Um And the title of the message today is final warning final warning it just kind of gets your attention final warning this is it the final warning next time i preach on hebrews it's going to be all the applications that all the theology of of what we've studied so far final warning and the final warning consists of two mountains and two responses so we're going to go climb a couple mountains and we're going to make two responses okay two mountains explained here The first mountain is is Mount Sinai. Let's look at verses 18 through 21. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words, that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, this mountain here, Mount Sinai, uh, that we just read here, is a picture. It's a picture. And if you want to know the details of this, you can go back to Exodus 19 and 20. We don't have nearly enough time to do that, but this is what it's talking about. <clears throat> what happened then when God gave uh, the, uh, the Jews through Moses the law of God, Ten Commandments. And it's a picture of how holy God is, how, how perfect and holy and righteous the God of eternity is, and how un- unbreakable the old covenant law was, okay? It was, it was delivered to Moses and Israel on Mount Sinai, for how the Israelites should live their lives. Here's the problem: they and we could never do it. Now, there's a reason for that. There's a method, to, or a reason for this, that that God wanted to 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 give Israel this scary mountain experience uh, of the law of God. He wanted to show us as humanity that we can't do it. We can't live by the law and succeed. Now, the law is good. Paul says the Ten Commandments are wonderful. In fact, when there is no more Ten Commandments, it's a dangerous thing. But the Ten Commandments are awful when it comes to justifying ourselves because we break them all the time. Okay? Does that make sense, by the way, at this point? Yeah, I hope it does. kind of like, let me give you an old story. It's kind of like lining all of humanity up on the West Coast and saying, you are now required to swim to Hawaii <laughs> to, in order to have eternal life. And some of us, we're going to sink about 100 yards off shore because we can't swim very well. Uh, I remember going out for the swim team in high school, and the swim coach looked at me and said, you know, you ought to try football. <laughs> and I did. Worked a lot better. I know I looked like a swimmer, but football just looked... <laughs> was, was so much better for my, my big-boned body, you know. And... Um, but so I got about hundred yards offshore. Somebody who's really maybe a, a a distance swimmer could get maybe five or ten miles, but everybody's going to sink. Everybody sooner or later, whether they out, out of their lack of strength, hypothermia, whatever, sharks—they're—they're not—they're not, they're not going to make it. And that's what he's saying about the law here. Okay, the law was given to show humanity uh, that uh, we cannot cut it on our own okay no person is capable of fulfilling the demands of god's ten commandments and his his holy law now i I thought i stole this but i liked it so what i like i steal okay (laughs) the terror of this law is not an evil terror but a necessary one the terror of this law that it reveals that we're we're up uh that we can't make it to god is also a necessary terror why because it's made to, to, to convict us and to terrorize us in a good way in a good way to fill our soul with conviction and inability to produce our own righteousness before god so that the work of christ on the cross is the only option we have are we getting somewhere with you guys today is this is, is that clear okay it's really important okay And uh, the law was given by God to give us an I-can't-do-it mentality, okay? That's the symbol of Mount Sinai, of God's law, okay? So look at at how God tries to illustrate that to us. It's an untouchable mountain, okay? You can't touch it. Uh, If any animal touched it, any human touched it, they were to be stoned to death right then and there. You can't touch it verse 18 tells us. It says it's a mountain burning with fire. You know, can you imagine that in a in a, a tourism brochure? <laughs> Come to the mountain when you are scared, spitless by an unspeakable awesome powerful destructive dangerous fire. No. No, it's scary. It burns up all of our self-righteousness, all of our ability to get to God and to please God our own. Then it talks about a mountain covered with darkness, gloom, and storm. There's a cheery thought, right? No, it's not supposed to be cheery. It's supposed to be convicting. We can't get to God on our own. And then, I like this, God's voice, uh, we're told here in verse something or other um, is, is like a trumpet blast with increasing volume and intensity that showed the absolute holiness and unapproachability of God through his laws, his ordinances, and his penalties. You know, just having all of you got youth guys here, it reminds me, believe it or not, you guys, I did youth work at one time too. I know it, it seems like that fossil up there, that dinosaur did youth work. Well, I did in the late 70s. in in early 80s until I got tired of having Cheetos fill my sleeping bag, you know, and having to clean them out and stuff. But one time, we thought we'd be really good youth leaders and take the kids to a Striper concert. Oh, you remember Striper? Remember spandex? (laughs) Remember hair? But they were really strong Christians. I know some of you don't think that's Christian music. I loved it and still do. Maybe because I was raised in the hippie guitar band era of the 60s and 70s. Anyway, so we went to the Striper concert, you guys, and I thought, this is going to be fun. And so I'm back at the back. It was at Benson Tech in Portland, Oregon, their Auditorium Ray. You would know exactly where that is. And I'm sitting there listening to Striper, and I think that I i am going to die <laughs> it was so loud i had never experienced anything that loud in my life and all the kids are going yeah that's awesome and i'm like i had to I, from what i remember i went to the bathroom got toilet paper and put it in my ears <laughs> and that's nothing compared with what happened here on mount sinai It represented God and his holy law. You can't bear it. You can't be in its presence because it's it's condemning considering what we have to bring to the table. You with me, amen? Okay, because this is important, okay? In fact, it says here in verse 19, the people begged that no further word be spoken. Stop, God, stop, please stop. I can't handle it. You're so holy. Your law is so perfect. And it says about Moses, he says, I'm trembling with fear. And Moses saw God in the burning bush. And so the writer is saying to his readers, if you return to Judaism or a self-generated acceptance with God, you're going back to a covenant of law, which is impossible to keep. keep. Paul called it, called it in 2 Corinthians 3, 7, a ministry of death because it's just not achievable. And it it, it points out our, our weakness way, 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 more than our success. I could tell you as an expert, when I tried to live the Christian life in my early Christian years and tried to do the Christian life, utter failure, utter and complete failure, had to manufacture, you know, a smile on my face. The more I've understood that I don't live the Christian life, nor can I, it's Jesus living it in, for, and through me, the j- more joyful I get about it. And it's still hard to do that, considering this unredeemed principle of my flesh that still resides in me until I go to be with the Lord. Okay, so don't do that. Don't fall back. Don't go back, he's saying, and to you and to me. Don't go back into a lifestyle that brings God's judgment on you because you're trying to do it yourself. And even as Christians, Christians here, those of you, if I say, if you were a Christian, you would raise your hand. It's the same for you as it is for an unsaved person in this sense. For an unsaved person to try to ju- justify themselves before the Lord, um, that's not gonna work. They're gonna come under the condemnation of God. But you know what? When we try to do it as Christians in the flesh, and we try to we try to grit out the christian life and i'm, I'm just going to apply elbow grease and and try to be a good christian In one sense, it's the same thing you can't We're, and that was the whole reason paul wrote the book of galatians he said you stupid idiots why after getting saved by the spirit would you again put yourself under the flesh And so as Christians, the best thing we can do is stop trying to live the Christian life in ourselves. But here we have a holy, holy, holy God, and that's what he wanted to happen through the Ten Commandments. You know, um, I'm really, I really think that, that we need that God again in our world. Have we not lost that in our world? we need a holy god today because we live in such a unholy world i mean people don't realize literally out there how holy god is how he can't even have any sin in his presence which is why he sent his son to be sin for us okay he's the buddy he's the big guy He's the man upstairs. He's I'm meeting him at ten thirty this morning for coffee and donuts. You know. I hear people I've heard people say that a lot, not Christians so much, but people that live around me and yeah, the big guy. The big guy. Oh, he ain't no big guy. He's eternal. Can you imagine what it's like to have eternal holiness? Put a limit on that? There's no limit on his holiness. There's no limit on his perfection. We forget, and we need to hear that today, my friends, really a lot, that God is terrifying. He is fearsome. He is holy. We need that God today. Now, as Christians, we are accepted by Him through Christ. Amen. Okay. And through Christ on the cross, He bore all of our infractions and violations of His holy law on Himself. And then when we received him as Lord and Savior of our lives, he attributed God's right, uh, Christ's righteousness to us. And now we can go in freely to the Lord's presence. But he is a holy, holy God. By the way, if I may just make a commentary on something. I think that's why evangelism can be so fruitless in our country. Okay? Because... Um, we say, you know, Jesus is love and God is love and he loves you and, and, and that's true. That's true. But if we don't face people down with the perfect law of God first, they won't f- fear God with a healthy fear and they won't despair of their ability to get to God and to be right with God. Okay? All they do the way most of us in the Western world share the gospel is, they're told, if you want to be healed or helped or someone to hang on, hang out with, just add Christ to your life. Just, just ask Jesus to be your Savior. And so they give it a try, and as life hits them smack in the face like a two-by-four, as it will all of us, right? They go, you know what? That Jesus that I got told... Who loves me? Um, where is he now? How come life isn't really, you know, the cakewalk that that I was told in this gospel presentation? And oftentimes there are what the old timers used to call aberrant, or uh, premature, or stillborn, if I may use that word, conversions. They weren't really conversions. I've heard it said, and I think I quoted this in um, a sermon some years back, but I was told about a, 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 a survey that was given to uh, a large group of Americans as to uh, whether they were Christians or not. And the survey came back, and it said that 80 million people, this is 80 out of what, 300, 320, 30? 80 million people were born-again Christians. And I thought to myself, if one-fourth of our uh, country were, were Christians, we wouldn't be in the shape we're in right now. So how many aberrant conversions have there been? Why? Because we haven't brought in the law of God first. And we haven't brought people into despair of their condition and made them, in in an attitude of love, desperate for salvation. So they're not desperate, so their invitation of Christ isn't out of desperation, it's out of addition. Addition to whatever else they drive, eat, buy, earn, accomplish, and when it doesn't meet what they thought would give them another thing, they, they, they bail out. But when they're thrown into a sense of just absolute need and that their life after this life will result in an eternal fate far more awful than they could imagine and that they fall short of earning their way out of that and they throw themselves on the mercy of Jesus and what he did on the cross, then it sticks. And it's a healthy conversion. Now, I have a saying, and I think it needs to be said, this morning um, that I think is really, really important. Grace to the humble, law for the proud. Grace to the humble, law for the proud. There are people that God has taken right down to the nub and they're ready. Amen? Amen? I mean, they know that they're in Dutch. They know they're in trouble. They know they can't cut it without God. Then we give them grace. But most people, even if they're personalities may be kind of okay and and they're they're good people. Do you know good people is more dangerous than being really, 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 really on the low end of sin? Because if you think you're good, it's harder to persuade you that you need Christ than it is some poor schlep who has just face-planted in life. You with me? Okay. And so, grace for the humble, law for the proud and the most people are proud it might be hidden but they're proud and they hang on to their pride with all their life and they need to be brought to the law because then the law takes pride and it breaks it and then it makes them ready to be born again it forces people into repentance and and to the forgiveness that God provided for us in Jesus on the cross. An optional, it it takes us out of the optional and puts us into the necessary. You with me? All right. This is important stuff. It may not make it on the top 10 list of cuddly sermons this morning, but it is is on the top 10 list of the important sermons. Okay. Okay. Now, well, let's put it another way, just so that we can keep this good here. The law functions as God's mirror to us. See what I'm saying? I can think I'm a pretty good-looking guy in the morning, right? I got out of bed, and I think, man, I am, I am Hollywood handsome. Yeah. But then if I go look in the mirror, what happens? I still feel that. No, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I look pretty bad. My hair's looking like it went through a hurricane, you know. Got sleep in my eyes. I, my bags under my eyes are the size of Oreos, you know. There's a huge I don't look too good. But I didn't know that till I looked in a mirror. But when I look in God's mirror, what I think was a pretty good guy, looking guy, spiritually, morally, I see the truth. You with me? God is a mirror okay um he helps us see what we are not in comparison to someone else because we can always find somebody else that looks worse than us right but but infinitely short of god's standards of righteousness you know marriage is like that Ooh, it's gotten quiet all of a sudden (laughs) you know i've done a lot of marriage counseling through the years i require six weeks of pretty thorough marriage counseling when i marry somebody and uh got a pretty good record and along the way it's, there have been a few that that didn't work out but you know it's just kind of funny especially the younger couples oh we like the same cereal we have so much in common and you know when you're going out with somebody you don't see stuff do you and then you get married and you still love each other, and you still want to be married all your life, but each of those c- couples are married mirrors. They're mirrors, and all of a sudden, you can't hide the idiosyncrasies, and you can't hide the faults, and you can't hide the, the stuff that was there, but you didn't see it because you dropped her off at 11 o'clock at night <laughs> to where she lived. And now, you, you, you know, it's different. And then we trusted the holy spirit for us for god to help us grow and love unconditionally and and it works if we do but that's what ha- that was what, what mount sinai was okay it was the law it pointed out that it was impossible to keep it put us in a sense of need and that's what the writer's saying here is don't go back to a system that will be disappoint you and your relationship with god isn't it worth all the pain and pressure and problems and persecution that you're going to face to stay in the acceptance of God rather than to go back under the law, which will condemn you and send you off to hell forever if you don't know Jesus? Let's go to the second mountain. The second mountain is Mount Zion. Okay, let's look at Mount Zion here in verses 22 through 24. But you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. How many people like the second mountain better? Half of you? Great. Okay. Really good. I'm really accomplishing things here this morning. This is the Mount of Grace. This is the mountain of the new covenant in Christ, where all of our sin and all of our infractions of God's law, then, now, and t- until we breathe our last breath, or Christ comes first, all of those infractions, every single thought, action, word, deed, every stupid, sinful, dumb thing we ever did was placed on Jesus on the cross, the perfect Son of God in flesh, and he crucified them in himself, and he buried himself in the grave, and he rose himself and broke death's power and said, you want to have faith in that and in me? You are free from your sin. That's Mount Zion. And if we do that, guess what? We go to a place called? Not a trick question. We go to a place called? Heaven. Heaven. I like what John MacArthur says. He says, whereas Sinai was forbidding and terrifying, Zion is inviting and gracious. Sinai is closed to all because no one is able to please God on Sinai's terms, the perfect fulfillment of the law embodied in Jesus, right? Because he never violated a single law of God. Zion is open to all because Jesus Christ has met those terms. This is I don't know if you're getting excited this morning, but I am so thrilled with just talking about this. It's the greatest, isn't this the greatest thing on earth? I mean, really. Better than Christmas presents, right? Zion is open to all. Mount Zion, representing God's acceptance in Christ, grace is open to all because Jesus Christ has met those terms and will stand in the place of anyone who will come to God through him. Zion symbolizes the approachable God Sinai stands for judgment and death. Zion, forgiveness and life. Mount Zion and, and the new covenant. It's, it's, it symbolizes trusting in Christ for salvation, not trying to meet unkeepable Christianese laws. So now he's talking to us, those of us that know Christ. Okay? Did I read those or not? I did read them. Yes, I did. Okay. So we're going to go through these, okay, just to see what, um, what we have in Christ and why in the world anyone would walk away from this, okay? It's, he says in verses 22, and uh, he says, the heavenly Jerusalem in the city of the living God. And I believe he's talking about the same thing. I won't split hairs with you because I don't really care to. It's heaven. Okay, you want to read about heaven? Yes, they said. Let's go to uh, Revelation 21. Just enjoy yourself for the next 30 seconds. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. This, by the way, is where you're going if you know the Lord Jesus. Um, And there was uh, no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And he'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's a lot of tears. Some of them are mine. How about, anybody, any of you got some tears? There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne and said, I'm making everything new, not just some things. Everything. Kind of food for thought. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. I don't know where we were the other day, dear, but wherever we were, they wanted three bucks for a bottle of water. You ever been to one of those places? I'm paying for something that a guy in the back room is filling up in their faucet, right? And then he puts the cap back on. I'm paying three bucks for that thing. Or you ever, you ever go to a Mariner game or a, uh, some sporting event? Three bucks for a bottle of water? Listen to this. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fire lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's you. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel. He said, that's where you're going if you're in Mount Zion. And then he says in, um, in Hebrews chapter 12 that we will be in the presence of thousands upon thousands of what? angels. Now you go to Revelation chapter 5. We don't have a time to go to all these things. I'm already way, way over time. But Revelation chapter 5 says there'll be thousands and thousands, ten thousands times ten thousand, which is the, his way of saying innumerable angels. Do you know you're going to be worshiping with angels? On, the, on your right and on your left, or excuse me just a second. On your right and on your left you're going to be worshiping with angels? And not just, just like these little, um, you know, um, Cadbury egg angels or anything like that. The kind of thing being that if he were to, sh- it were to show up in our worship center, we'd all be face down on that concrete. And we're going to be worshiping with millions of them along with each other if we're in Mount Zion. We have all of Christ's obedience to the Ten Commandments living in our heart. And we'll be in, in, in perfect uh, uh, righteousness with God. You know, we ought to start doing... You know what? i got to say this. You guys were so good at worship this morning. I mean, our worship team was great, but... I See, I love sitting in the front row, because you, you all wash over me. And you, I, had to, I was just like, yeah. These guys are blessing me. And I thought, that's what it's, going to be, what it's going to be like times a billion. You're going to be worshiping with angels. Taste that with your heart. Taste it. And then to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven, that's the, the, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ that we, we already heard about in, in chapter 21. And then it says in verse 23, where God, the judge of all men, lives. And we think, oh, man, the judge of all men? I got to be—that sounds kind of threatening— You know, am I going to go past the throne of God going, okay, no. Because judgment isn't always bad, is it? No is the answer, by the way. (laughs) I mean, have you ever heard, like, not guilty? Yeah, if if you're the one being on trial, that's a great sound. Not guilty. And that's what you'll hear. Yeah, the judge of all men. But he will pronounce us not guilty for eternity. Yeah. Verdicts can be good. Just because you've been guilty three or four times doesn't mean that, you know, in heaven it's going to be the same thing. And then it says here, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. We talked about that last week at Easter in 1 Corinthians 15, how our resurrection bodies after Christ returns will be uh, powerful, immortal, eternal imperishable spiritual we'll have our new bodies and then it says to jesus the mediator of a new covenant we'll have jesus right there listen you guys and we get this from the hebrews that we were in already he'll be mediating for us for eternity he'll be right there and we'll just look at jesus and go i've been mediated for i'm living in a mediated state forever and ever. Can you imagine where we're headed here, you guys? And it says, To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. When Cain killed Abel, he spilled human blood on the ground. When Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, it was eternal in power and value. And it was applied to us by the grace and Holy Spirit of God. Okay, I wish... I mean, really, this could have been a whole sermon on its own, but I want to go to the two responses quickly, and then I'll, I'll get you out of here. The response is required now. You can almost guess. Look at verses 25 through 29. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now um, he has promised... Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken, spiritual things, may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a what? consuming fire alright two responses quickly first for those people that were thinking about bagging it thinking about bailing I've had it all the kids at school they they, it's like I'm just like a. am just so different than them they seem so happy they're doing this that the other thing they're living life I'm tired tired you adults that go out into the world and watch people. They, they're partying, they're happy. You're swimming upstream, trying to be a godly husband or wife or uh, single or whatever the case may be. I, I just want to have more fun. I just, I'm tired of trying to live. The Christ- He's writing to you and me and, and to them. He's saying, don't ignore him who speaks. Don't refuse him, Right? Don't not pay attention to this. Okay? And the reason is this. If we refuse to listen, there's going to be some judgment. Either a loss of rewards or the fact, if we go too far, that we were never born again to begin with. I'll let God be the judge of that, not me. And if they didn't escape when they refused such a powerful warning on earth, how much more when the judge of all eternity, Jesus Christ, sits on the judgment's uh, throne on the final day of judgment. He shook the earth during the first warning. He'll shake the heavens according to the second warning. You're going to endure that? You're going to make it through that? There'll be a new heaven and an earth created at Christ's return and a final judgment that will remain for all eternity because it can't be shaken. It's not going to shake. Where we are going cannot be shaken. What we have now will be shaken. You want to be shaken or unshaken? Unshaken. Amen. So we have one out of a couple hundred or whatever we got here that wants to be unshaken. The rest of you, go. (laughs) No, no. I mean, don't don't go back. 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 None of us know what's ahead of us, do we? Don't go back. And that's what I'm trying to do right now in my own life, not go back. You say, well, you're, you're the pastor. You'd never go back. Oh, read. Read the news. Read the headlines. I don't want to count my chickens before they're hatched. I want to just be on my face before God every single day and in his word, and so that I endure to the very, very end okay so don't go back okay that's, that's, that's what he's saying don't go back and then the, the, the response um, for Christians these are two possible non-Christians and us as Christians yes but the, the second response and then I'll conclude I promise the second response is found in verses 20 I don't know if I read these let me read them 5, see to that you do not refuse him who speaks. I just, I just read that. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we, re- if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, now he gets to the Christians. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And then, oddly enough, verse 29 For our God is a consuming fire. So we are now, we have and are now receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. When we became Christians, we received the kingdom. But it's a participle in the Greek language. It means it's a continual thing. We just don't go, thanks for the kingdom. Aloha with a steel guitar, God. I'll call you when I need you. No. No, no. It's being received and received and received and received until its fruition. Okay? Nothing will be able to shake that, by the way. So be thankful. I mean, isn't it a no-brainer after all that we have seen? we're going to do in heaven that we ought to be thankful? You know? I mean, kind of, yeah. Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And I I think you did that this morning. That's what I sensed. It wasn't, you know, this is not, this is one of the least typical post-Easter crowds I have ever seen in my years here at Cedar Home. Usually it's like, (laughs) I think one of the most common uh, Sundays, that the preacher takes off is the Sunday after Easter because they've had 12,000 people on uh, Easter and then they've had 12 the week after Easter. And it's a downer. I've never seen a sanctuary worship area so full the week after Easter. Thank you for that. That's a gift to me. Okay? All right? So you're, you're, you're thanking him. You're worshiping him. And worship him acceptably with reverence and awe is think about where we'll be. Let's start now. For our God is a consuming fire. Now, to the unbeliever, that, that's, it's clear why the writer would say that, right? Because God is a consuming fire. All right? Jesus described this uh, in the Gospel of Mark, where he describes hell as where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. God consumes those lost people with an unquenchable, unending fire, however you want to use to describe that in the Scriptures, whether it's a real hell with real fire or just the hell of not being uh, aware of God's presence any longer for eternity. I'll leave that to you, but it's hell, and it's awful. Okay? So our God is a consuming fire, and if you're lost... I can't think of a better reason to give your life to Jesus Christ, okay? Because he's given you that opportunity to do that. But you know what? It's also in the Christian section. I had to think about this this week because why, God, did you say that at verse 29 in the Christian section? Why would you say something like, for our God is a consuming fire? And here's what I think it is. I think God wants us to, not only to be just moved by the love of God and the, and the love of Jesus for what He did on the cross for us, but He wants us to continue to look at Him with healthy, respectable, respectful fear. Amen. Have a balance. Healthy ah. Oh. You know, the word "awesome" has been messed over so bad. You know, man, it's an awesome pencil. You got that purple color with the green eraser. It's awesome. Man, I saw your new mailbox today. Man, that is awesome. <laughs> Don't you think we've kind of overdone that word? Kind of awesome pencil, man. You know, only God is awesome. And it's, I'm not, if you want to call your new pair of slippers awesome, call your new pair of slippers awesome. I'm not going to be splitting hairs about it, but really, I think God wants us to maintain a fear, a healthy fear, and a healthy reverence, and awe of him. Plus, a God of consuming love and kindness. Okay, so today we had a warning. It's the final warning in in the book of Hebrews, okay? It's a warning for all of us, not just these few Jews in a little church in Italy 2,000 years ago. The human race never changes, by the way. It's a warning. It's a warning for those people who are thinking about going back to their previous life, trying to do it on their own or earn acceptance with God or live by their own efforts, putting themselves back under conditions and rules and laws to be okay, just doing it all on themselves. It's a warning. Don't do it. You can't win that game. You can only win that game by accepting Christ's perfect uh, obedience to the law through the Holy Spirit coming in and regenerating you. That's the only way we can win that. And that makes us righteous before God. Stay there. And if you're not there, get there. Because if that earthly mountain's scary, wait till you see the eternal mountain before you. So why take chances? And then remember Christians, keep a balance holy, loving. You see, how do I do that? Getting the Bible, you'll get all the love and holiness you'll ever want. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, I know that um, these are not the easiest concepts to convey, but they are some, if not the most important concepts to convey. It's the final warning, and we and we take crazy chances by not heeding the warning. Help those who are here that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior to just make haste to get in Christ and his righteousness on their behalf and not try to do it on their own, to swallow their pride and humble themselves before the cross. And for those of us who are Christians, help us to always maintain that balance of holiness and in the right response to that and your love to comfort us through the difficult times that we're in. Thank you, Father, for speaking to us this morning as we go out into this drop-dead, gorgeous day that you've given us. Help us to really, really, really drink it in and praise you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.